Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 606 of the Juicebox Podcast. When I began the After Dark series, I thought these episodes would just be topics that don't normally get spoken about in the light of day, but were very important and things that happen to people all the time and should be heard. At some point in the process, I began to hear from people who had experienced their own sometimes very traumatic situations and wanted to come on and tell their story. I'm not great at articulating this, but I've heard it told to me so many times that I believe in it truly. So when someone reaches out with a particularly heavy story, I like that they want to come here and tell it on the Juicebox podcast. Uh, I'm glad that they feel like this is a safe place. But you should know when these episodes are going to deal with difficult topics. And this one today is just extremely difficult. I'm going to tell you a little more about it after the music. Hold on tight. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little more about this episode before it starts up. So today's guest will remain anonymous. She is an adult who lives with type one diabetes, and she grew up in a home where she was physically, emotionally, and sexually assaulted as a child. Her story is incredible. She wanted to come here and tell it. I hope you listen to it. But if you think it's going to be upsetting to you, I just wanted you to know that these are the topics that are going to be covered today. Although by the time we get to the end, you'll hear how she's doing now, and it may feel more like a, a story of triumph to you, but you're going to have to give it a shot and see what you think. I personally think that it was incredibly brave for her to come and do this. I hope you feel the same. Hi, everyone. I am a 32-year-old woman. I have survived childhood abuse, and I also have diabetes type 1. And we're going to keep you anonymous for this conversation. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, so we're sir. Not gonna, you can call me Scott, and I'm just going to talk to you like you don't have a name. So I just, <laughs> if I sound rude at some point, you know what I mean? Oh, don't you worry about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's start, uh, let's start simple, I guess. You okay. are – how old were you when you were diagnosed with type 1? I was 19. 19. Tell me again. You're 34? 32. 32. Okay. Well, that's like 13 years ago. Yeah, I've been half of, well, almost, I'm almost in the half of my life point. Yeah. Hey, what is that noise in the background? It's my dog that was just asleep. <laughs> he was just asleep like a beautiful angel. And he woke himself up and he's, he should stop now. I'm All sorry. Right. Not, don't be sorry. <laughs> But but we might have to kick him out. Um, big, I don't mind. Is, is it a big dog? He is a pit bull, but the only thing is that because he's deaf, he doesn't necessarily know. 
how obnoxious he is sometimes because he can't hear. Well, I have to admit, I don't think dogs are cognizant of how like loud they <laughs> That's are. That's so true. Do you, do you ever think, <laughs> have you ever thought that a dog's walked through the room and thought, oh, I'm so sorry for the interruption? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to interrupt. It sounds like you were in a meeting. I just have a quick, I, quick I, lick. I felt like it was a bigger dog, at least 50 pounds, because it sounds like somebody is just turning a side of beef over on the floor. So. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. He touched one of my, I have some stuff on the floor and he whipped it with his tail, but he left now. I think he, he knows he's like too good for us. So we should be fine. <laughs> Even a deaf dog knows when he's interrupting a podcast recording. That's excellent. That's right. He's That's like, how good your podcast is. Wow. He saw the look on your face. He's like, this, this lady seems upset. So, um, <laughs> okay. So you were diagnosed at 19 years old. Were you living at home or were you in college or where were you in your life? So I was in college and I had two jobs. I was a full-time college student and I had two part-time jobs. So one job was in my hometown. One job was in the city where my college was. So I would go back and forth. I just don't have like one definite spot. But I grew up in a very small town and I grew up in Brazil. So at least where I grew up in Diabetes wasn't a thing at all. I had never heard of diabetes, met somebody with diabetes. So I actually had to go to the ER three times until they tested my blood sugar. Wow. Hey, listen, I'm sorry we keep doing this. Is the dog walking around or are you shuffling papers? Uh, you What's know what? Happening? I got this. <laughs> okay, I'm go. just, I'm going to throw them all out on the street. And the they will have to pay rent from now on. <laughs> just a sec. I'll be right back. <laughs> Come on. Right. Doors closed. Dogs have been sent to the shelter. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Yesterday, a woman had birds in her garage. Oh, no. <laughs> and we're, talk we're talking a little bit. And I said, uh, hey, uh, what's with all the birds? <laughs> and, and she goes, those birds aren't in this room. I was like, they are coming through crystal clear on your microphone. She's like, are you serious? They're in the garage. And I was like, mm, is there a door between you and the garage? And she said, yeah. I was like, could you close it, please? So, yeah, it's just uh, microphones are just, they're so good nowadays. You know what I mean? And we're all used right. to, we're actually all used to the ones that come on our cell phones that have that noise canceling. Um, and those are not great for this because you don't hear it on a phone call. But when you're recording it, the noise canceling it stops everything. So you don't, how do I put this? Hold on. How do we talk about microphones in a way that it'll be? Uh, so, okay. So I'm speaking right now. And if I were to stop speaking, the background room that's behind me right now is the same when I'm speaking as when I stop. But when a noise canceling headphone stops, it literally shuts off the transmission. So you get into oh. this kind of like, a, it's almost like electronic silence, which is different than when the person's speaking. And it's, I mean, it's nitpicking. I, I've lived through it okay sometimes. But anyway, the point is microphones are good and they can hear birds in your garage. And, wow, uh, yeah, I'm impressed because yeah, like, I didn't even hear my dog. No, no. And I could hear like their nails going across the floor the second time and like the body like turning over and you can even hear collars like laying down on the floor and stuff. It's fascinating what you can. And I'm, you know, I want to hear your story. So, um, and, so this and, is not a podcast about dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, 30 more seconds and it might have to be. Okay. So you had, you got type one, you're 19, you're away at school, you're a busy person had a number of jobs in different towns. Um, what were you going to school for? 
uh, education. Okay. Are you a teacher now? I I was. I was a teacher of English as a second language. Okay. And That's what I used to do before I moved to the U.S. Oh, okay. So you're not in Brazil any longer. No, I moved here seven years ago. Gotcha. Now, I don't normally do this, but I don't like to ask ham-fisted questions to get us into super serious stuff. So I'd prefer just to be honest about it and say that, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of people reach out to be on the show and you know, the reasons they want to be on are, are incredibly varied, but every once in a while, someone sends a note that like stops me in my tracks and yours was one of those. So I think I'm just going to ask you up front, why is it you wanted to come on the podcast? Well, when I reached out at first, I, I didn't have that in mind, but after I overthought it for quite some time, after you replied to my email, I realized that I think I think there's value in my story, not because it is rare or different or anything. I think what happened to me is quite common, but it's very rarely talked about. And I'm in a place in my life uh, after, you know, of course, healing is forever in everybody's life. So I'm still in it, but I'm in a moment where I'm able to talk about it. I think in a easy, not so overwhelming way. So I think there's value in if there's a survivor that went through similar things that listens to you and they feel a little less alone, then it was already worth it. Okay, great. Uh, Well, I appreciate that. Um, And for reasons, you know, that everyone will understand soon enough, um, I'm going to do my best. Um, This isn't something I have any firsthand knowledge of, so I might be a little clunky around it, but I have good intentions and, you know, we're going to, we're going to get through. It's Um, all good. All right, great. So, uh, I I mean, where do you want to start? Where do you think the best place to start is? Oh, no, let's try it. Let's try from the beginning. Okay. Um, So I survived um, sexual, physical, and emotional abuse from my parents. Um, There's a lot that I don't remember. There's some that I recovered in therapy after several years. So I try to not speak on what I'm not 100% sure. But if you out there have gone through trauma, you know that it's not that simple. But what I do know for sure is that my father was a pedophile and he started grooming me and touching me inappropriately since I was very, very little. I remember being maybe three, something like that. Like I'm still the age where you sit on your parents' lap. Mm -hmm. And I remember he would watch pornography and, and touch me or just have me sitting there Uh, I have a memory of my mom holding me down when I was a little older while he was doing similar things. And then as I got older, it kind of escalated into other types of abuse. He was also an alcoholic and my mom didn't want to have a kid. Well, so I have an older brother who's two years older than me and she didn't want to have another kid after him. And she used to say she didn't want to have a daughter. So she has said before that she wanted, wish she had aborted me or that she had had an abortion. So she wasn't very loving. (laughs) So she was like, she just wasn't a mom that was present at all even when I was very little very like neglectful didn't 
take care of me at all. And then she was always annoyed at me. So I kind of had this, this dynamic going that my mom didn't give me any attention at all and kind of was happier if I wasn't around, if I was just in my room quiet. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she would say all sorts of horrible stuff, scream at me. And then my dad kind of had the perfect opportunity because since I didn't trust my mom and we weren't close, he could make up all sorts of stuff. You know, he used to say that I was the one that he really loved and that my mom was jealous. That's why she was mean to me. So to not tell her that type of stuff. Do you? And, uh, sorry. Let me, no, don't be sorry. Um, I, I just have a couple of quick questions. No, go ahead. Were they abusive to your brother at all? You know, I always say that that's my brother's story to tell. If you ask him, he's going to say no. His childhood was wonderful and everything was perfect. But I do want to know that to this day he lives, he's married, has a kid and still lives with my mom. So like they don't have the most, the healthiest relationship overall. Mm -hmm. I remember my dad was very physically abusive towards my brother. Used to call him. I don't want to use those slurs, but he used to call him all sorts of things and uh, say stuff like, if my, this is my brother being a baby. Of course, this is a story that I was told, but the, my brother would be crying and he would scream at the baby and say that only gay babies cry like some nonsense like that. Mm-hmm. And so he was always very strict with my brother. I have some recollection of some abuse involving my brother, but I don't know for sure. Okay. I don't remember for sure. I understand. Yeah. I didn't want to talk about him too long. I just wanted to understand if it was specific to you or systematic, you know, throughout the family. Um, do your, I mean, I think this is an obvious question with a, a yes answer, but I'm looking for your opinion. Are, um, are your parents mentally unstable <laughs> yes, I think so. Okay. I mean, I'm I ain't no doctor, but <laughs> <laughs> I ain't no doctor, One. but I I do have some firsthand knowledge of the people. Yeah. They don't seem right. <laughs> now, not you know what I mean. Like I don't mean yes. like so. Like I uh, listen. What I know about this fits in a thimble, but there's there's the idea of like kind of criminal thought, like you know uh, a criminal way of being. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, it's it's like, I don't know, like to take it out of this for a second, you couldn't, I mean, my, my life is not such that I would be forced into this, but even if it, if it was, I don't think I could bring myself to burst into someone's home and take their things. Like I, I just, could, I don't have, whatever is in my head would not let me do that. Um, I, I'm certain I could not sexually assault a child right like and so what what allows a person to do that has got to be some sort of a a mental disconnect somewhere right right like and i mean do you spend much time thinking about the the nuts and bolts aspect of what let them treat you this way or do you talk about it more in a an emotional way like how do you how do you get through something like this when you're doing, I'm assuming talk therapy and probably some pretty deep psychotherapy too, I would imagine. Right. So what I tried a couple of different therapies throughout my twenties and nothing really worked. The main reason was because there was a law I didn't remember. And at the time, when I say that, I mean a, a visual memory, like when you're 
most people think of memories, like we're watching a movie or yeah. a scene of a movie. And I found this therapy called EMDR, which is, I'm going to butcher it, EI movement, something with a D. <laughs> I got to tell you, you're about the sixth person to bring that up on this podcast. Oh, my God. Then let me tell you that that is the most incredible thing I've ever done in my life. Completely changed my life. But at the same time, I said this to a friend and kind of pressured her into doing it and she hated. So let's just keep that in mind. It's, I think it's for a certain type of person in the way that you process things. EMDR is a therapy um, for those that don't know, it involves a, it's kind of like a stick with lights and you're supposed to think of something. It could be just a, a smell or a sound, whatever it is, the thing that triggers you. And you keep looking at these lights as they change because you're trying to process both sides of your brain to actually process that memory. Cause when you have a trauma, it kind of freezes on one side and I couldn't do the eye thing. So I always used buzzers under my legs. Yeah. It and stands just for people's edification. It stands for eye movement, desensitization, desensitization. Why can't I talk? Des <laughs> Jesus. God, that was terrible. I told now, you the deal was hard. It's desensitization. Jeez. There you go. Oh my God, I feel like an idiot. Uh, all right. Eye <laughs> movement desensitization. I can't do it. Descent. Hold on a second. Descent. I can do it when I read it. Desensitization and reprocessing. How come when I roll over it, I can't find it? So many syllables as well. <laughs> all right. There, and there are, you know, like there are some, you know, EM. DR.com tells you that it's a, a psychotherapy that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that are the result of disturbing life experiences. Wikipedia calls it a controversial form of psychotherapy. So, you know, Ooh. yeah, Wikipedia, I guess, is the thing where everybody can say whatever they want, right? Right. And I mean, I'm sure some people dislike it. It's mm -hmm. a very, it's a very uncomfortable type of therapy because all you're doing is just sitting in a memory, I'll, I'll give a, a an example without being too specific. I used to have, um, just when people would raise, start raising their volume when they're talking, I realized that I would get this, this weird feeling in my body. Like, um, I don't know, it just felt so uncomfortable. So I started talking to the therapist about it and I ended up describing it as if I had hands touching me more than two hands touching me and I was trying to like shrink and disappear and that's the the sensation that I had and so all you're going to do is just sit on that couch and feel that exact thing as you process it and sometimes more memories will come up because you're kind of like organizing your brain and sometimes you just cry sometimes I would scream whatever it is you just take it out of your brain so that it's almost like when trauma happens, your room is all disorganized. It's a mess. And then as you process your memories through whatever therapy, really, I just find that EMDR is very fast. Okay. Uh, you kind of make boxes for stuff and you put items there. So I can pick something and be like, oh, this made me sad. This happened when I was little and it involved my brother. And then I put it in that box. So it's not constantly affecting my everyday life. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, listen, whatever works is amazing right. you know what i mean that that something helped you is is absolutely fabulous um i it did I, i'm i'm gonna I do my best to pick through this without like like you said like without going unnecessarily Wait. deep into it but did would you say that the verbal abuse the 
the sexual abuse or the physical abuse was most frequent? Or did it all just happen in a hodgepodge? It all happened to all in the, it's always all mixed. Like you couldn't, sometimes my dad would be angry at me, uh, pretend like I did something wrong when I didn't, and then uh, punish me by abusing me sexually. So it's hard to put, put hard to separate. It's almost, but uh, maybe the verbal abuse, just because how much easier it is to verbally abuse your child. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. that was probably the most common, but it's hard to, it's hard to say. Yeah. So anything was an excuse. Were there days where you weren't abused? Probably. Okay. But that would be hard to imagine. Like, like you, you, I don't know. you never thought like, wow, May was great. Like, you know, like, <laughs> right, right, right. And, and so it and, must be the summertime. Oh my then. gosh. Everybody is just, you know, you know how people love the summer. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, wow. You have a different life, right? Uh, and you, right. So this starts when you're very, very young. How long does it go for? I don't remember exactly when it stopped, but I know for sure it was before I turned 12 or around that age only because it's, it's, and this has always been like that. When I was in sixth grade is when I start being able to access normal, I shouldn't say normal, just regular memories. Like I remember going to school. I remember silly stuff that happened in school, stuff that embarrassed me. And before that, I was probably so dissociated all the time just to survive all the different types of violence that I don't, you know, if you're not present in the moment, you don't pay attention. It's like when you're driving somewhere, you go all the time, you just dissociate because you know the way type yeah. of logic. So I don't know for sure, but probably around 12. Was that purposeful or was it just like the disassociation? Like, did you ever think, well, here it comes. I'm just going to try to do my best to go away in my head, or is it just what happens? I don't, I don't want to say it was per. It was purposeful, but I, I don't think it was a logical decision because I was little. You don't have knowledge of different skills to be like, oh, I think I'm going to do this. I think it was just what I navigated towards. I used to have, oh, this is just so sorry. I used to have a, this anime that used to play on TV and when I was like around eight or nine and I used, I started pretending like I was going to go join the, and they were going to come and get me and I would join the anime. So I started creating this entire like series of me as a character and what I would say and what I would do. And I would think about every detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just did that all day just to, you know, cause it was better to think about that. And you're so little, you don't necessarily know the difference between reality and fiction. So I did Scott. So I packed a little bag and for some reason I decided that that's when they were going to come and get me. And I just laid in bed and waited for them to come and get me. I was so confident that that was going to happen. And he did not. I woke up the next day. I was still in my house. I was so sad. <laughs> I guess I just from remembering it. Well, that's interesting. And, and so kind of, kind of like that. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So Either do that, you fantasize, or you just, I don't think, the reason why I don't think it's purposeful is because I don't think people usually dissociate purposefully. It's not a thing that you manually go in. It's kind of just a thing you 
Okay. You do on auto because your brain is like, if we don't go somewhere right now, we are going to lose our mind and, you know, survival skills kick in. So, yeah. And and you can't fight back. You're too small. And I mean, people, your mom's holding you at times. And yeah, so you just, I guess you have to just give up to survive. But even, but even when I, if I screamed, they would just hurt me more or they would hold me down or they would then hit me in a different way. I tried, I learned that fighting, it was only going to make it way worse. So it was Mm -hmm. better to just think, feel, just think I was dead. And it sounds so horrible, but that's what it was. Just be dead because everything else I tried was just worse. I understand. Um, Was there no physical damage like why did a doctor never notice or like a loved one outside of the family how how did how did they keep that invisible that is a great question so where i grew up things are very much what happens in your house stays in your house type of deal so it wasn't like growing being going to school in the 90s where I went, it wasn't very much like modern US now where you talk about good touch, bad touch, and teachers are so involved. We don't even stay in school for that long. And we don't have sex education in school. At least we didn't while yeah. I was there. Yeah. It did did it ever occur to you to tell someone? I think I'm I feel like I tried once because I remember my dad being so angry at me and like he hurt me so bad he he just he just hurt me so bad and they always hurt me in places like it's not like they would um, pardon my language it's not like they would punch me in the face you know mm-hmm. uh like my mom would hit me with a belt for example and I would get these horrible marks uh I have some marks to this day from the belt on my butt and so it's not like anybody was seeing my butt and my mom would never let me go to anybody's house, like my classmates' houses. I could never go anywhere. I couldn't even play outside. Like I was very much kept in the house. And then we didn't have people around a lot. And my parents were very much the stereotype of successful. Like we were in a white community and they were white religious community. So they were white, they were Roman Catholic and they were like upper middle class. So it's not like anybody looked at us and yeah, no, I, I, but they didn't want to let you, I would imagine get somewhere where you might get the nerve to say to somebody, Hey, they, they hurt me, help me. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they want to keep right. you kind of, so did you feel like a person or did you feel like I, I don't, I've been, by the way, for 10 minutes trying to think about how to ask you this question. I can't come up with a better phrase Were you a person to them or a sex toy? I think I was a thing, not a, not a sex toy because while there was all the sexual abuse, it wasn't, I mean, I don't know. I guess we would have to ask them, (laughs) but I, I feel like I felt like I was a a nuisance and just this ugly, horrible thing. Not a person, definitely not a person because that's not, you know, that's not how you treat people. No, of course. Like you would have to. I mean, I'm trying my best. It's it's a difficult. I, uh, that's okay. Wait, yeah, it's hard for you to. It's hard for me. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else to put myself in the position of either of your parents, right? Like I don't. I'm trying to imagine what they 
we're doing, we're thinking, but I can't, like, I can't find it in my head. You know what I mean? Like, so you, like, are they, do they, I don't know, hate you for being, you know, a reflection of themselves? Like how deeply into this, like, there's just, there's so many possibilities for why they could be this messed up. It's not even worth guessing, right? Well, I do have a theory because, of course, it's I've been for especially during my 20s, I was consumed with just understanding what happened. But let me just say something first so that the other thing makes sense. So that that's how they were until about when I was like 12, whatever. And then I don't know what happened. Something happened. And then my parents started fighting all the time. And so the dynamic in my house changed. And my mom did this thing that now my therapist calls it, of course, I can't remember again, dissociative identity disorder, I think it is, which is like you kind of create your own little world. Mm -hmm. And so my mom, my dad was always present. He was kind of out of the picture. And then my mom started telling me that we were always like best friends and we used to do this together and we used to do that together. And I used to tell her everything and what's wrong with me. Why am I mad? I'm being so ungrateful. So then it kind of like messed. I think that was the worst part to be honest. It just messed up with my head. So then everything I said wasn't true. It never happened. That was crazy. Or she tried to get me diagnosed with stuff. She was trying to rewire you so as you got older, you wouldn't out her. I yes, imagine. which worked. Right. Worked because what it did is that it made me question everything. And it was only in my 20s that I started being certain. And you start talking to people about it, right? Because the reason I think later I wouldn't share it with anybody, I never told, I didn't tell people until I was 22. I told one friend and she took me to the police station, but that's a different story. Um, and so you're so, I was afraid of telling people, Hey, I think this happened to me, but I'm not sure. Maybe I imagined it mm-hmm. because you don't want people to think you're crazy. Right. Did you feel crazy? Sorry. Did you feel crazy? Yes. All the time. Okay. All the time. And by that, I just mean like unsure of anything. Yes. Yeah. You don't, you don't know anything. Like, did you, and it impacts me to this day. I will say something and I'm like, did I say that? I don't know if I said that. If I'm having an argument with somebody, I get very worked. I could get worked up and then I can't, I have no idea what happened to be like, no, but you said this. So okay. it's, it's very, it runs deep for sure. Okay. Um, have we covered this enough for your liking? Uh, I think I have to answer. I don't think I answered your question about why I thought my parents are okay. the way they are. Okay. So I think that it's a combination of things. So my mom has this. Or, so my parents are children of immigrants. They migrated from Italy to Brazil. And it is in their culture that like mental health is not a real thing. You're just like depression is being lazy. And if you're crazy, you go to the crazy home and you just die there. Like that dramatic old school view. Mm-hmm. And so they grew up without any awareness of that or any addressing. I think my mom was always weird because when she, when she was little, they sent my mom away to stay in other people's houses for a year at a time and like help them clean the house and work for them kind of and in exchange of it, go to school. I mean, they only did it to her, to her and she had like, I don't know, 10, 11 siblings. And so I think my mom went through her own share of 
trauma and it kind of broke her to the point that she developed this DID to kind of cope with her life. And the only way she can do it is by making this stuff up because she does it to this day from time to time. She's kind of like a little different. She will talk about the past different. And if you tell her it didn't happen, she would just ignore you. Like she goes blank. Her eyes just get weird. She doesn't say anything. So do you think they were abused as children? I think my mom was for sure. And I think my dad was too, because my grandpa, his dad was a horrible man, horrible man. And all his, all my dad's brothers are weird. Like they all sexualized me when I was little. It was just very normal in my culture. Like there's no such thing as a little girl. There are boys and then there's women, you know? Mm -hmm. So like they would talk about my body as I was growing older and what looked like what and what grew and what didn't grow. And if I looked like this or that I looked sexy, it was just the strangest thing. But because they are all living in this bubble, it was normal. I was the weird one, you know, for them, it's all normal. Wow. That's insane. Um, How do you, are you, you're married? Yes. Do you have children? No. No. Are you, would you be afraid to have children? Yes. Okay. Um, do you think that's a real concern or do you just think that's an abundance of caution just in case you like a switch? Like, are you worried that a switch is going to flip in your head and you're going to be your parents? Yeah. Well, not to the extent that they were, but I, I can, sometimes I get mad at my dogs who I love deeply. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I rub their bellies several times a day, but I can see myself getting, um, annoyed or I might make a comment and to me I sound like my mom so I'm like if I can't handle a dog I'm not gonna put a child in this world and I that's just how I became though I'm not gonna do it unless I'm sure I can do a good job yeah and we we just always had so much going on I we didn't want that too plus I have diabetes so then I was worried about being pregnant my diabetes was always out of control so then being I couldn't it was just a mixture of things, but in the root, the root of it, I think I'm just scared. Yeah. No, I listen. There's a, there's an avenue where you could talk about this and say that you're making the sanest decision in a long line of people making insane decisions. <laughs> so, because yes. you got to break the cycle, and if you, yes. can't, if you can't be certain that you can, exactly, then staying out of the cycle is the best thing you could probably. I mean, it's sad for you. I mean, in a, in 34 minutes of sad things that have happened to you, this is one of them. But still, maybe it's the kindest thing you could do if you can't be sure. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, the thing, too, well, some people might think it's selfish. I think it's a beautiful thing to say. Uh, I did not get to have a normal childhood. I was working through my teenage years, and I was struggling with so much PTSD and just life stress and all the consequences of my undealt trauma during my twenties. Now we are finally in a place where we can enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And so like my husband taught me how to play. It's not that I hadn't played video games before. It's just that they were stupid. He taught me how to play video games. So like we'll game some nights or I don't know. I just, before I have a kid, I want to give the kid that lives inside of me the time that, she deserves and then maybe who knows in five years i might feel different but, yeah well that makes you know sense. i don't want to just keep like you said 
cop making the same mistakes other people do. How do you bring this up with a with a, a spouse or a potential spouse? Like, at what point do you say to your husband, "Like, this is my past, and I want you to understand it." I usually wouldn't bring up with people. Well, I usually wouldn't date before so long on purpose, but with my husband, we were going out and then we slept together and I have, um, I have some scars on my intimate parts. <laughs> so he, you know, he asked and I say, what the scar, what, what one of these scars was about. And so I told him, cause that's how I am. If you ask me a question, don't ask, but you don't want to know. So I just said, Oh, my parents were really bad people, I think is what I said. And then he had seen me talk to my mom. He was a little confused about that. So he asked me questions and I was never, I never went into too much detail because I don't see a benefit in it. But, mm-hmm. you know, he if he is with me, he's my partner. He needs, it's important for him to know me and to support me. So throughout my therapy, I would come home and be like, oh my God, I remembered this that involved this and it's making me feel like this and he would just listen and tell me he loves me and that it's okay and hug me and stuff like that so he has been there for a big part of my journey in recovering memories how how, um, how is it being intimate as an adult like are you able to i don't know what my question is like uh it seems like this would be ruined for you but is it not it is not I think, well, I went the other route that survivors usually go. I was always hypersexual since I was a teenager. Just always, I couldn't. And it was, I mean, if you were to unpack this alone, it's so much. Because I didn't know, this might sound weird to people, I didn't know I could say no. So if somebody would come and hit on me, then I would would just be like, oh, and just have sex with them. Because that's just what I'm supposed to do. And... If I liked people, I really wanted to have sex with them because that's, according to my therapist, that's how I learned to connect with people. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I never had, and I had plenty of complex PTSD, like uh, seeing stuff, feeling stuff, all the, and but it never happened during sex. Um, okay. What about, did you just say, are your parents alive? Yes. Okay. Do you have any contact with them? I stopped talking to my dad about 10 years ago when I, something happened and I could be for sure. I was like, he for sure did this to me. Cause of course they deny everything. Mm-hmm. And I stopped talking to him and then I went to the police and I did a police report. Of course he went nowhere, but <laughs> the point of me doing that was to show them that I remember it and that wasn't afraid anymore. Okay. And then I spent several years not talking to my mom they are the reason why I I moved, I came to the U.S. because I got a scholarship for a master's degree. And the reason why I kept trying scholarships far away was because I wanted to be as far away from them as I could. It was the only way. Otherwise, I was going crazy. My mom just got, my mom is so strange in every way. But so I just couldn't get away from her. She would like, I would move to different towns. Sometimes I would move from city to city twice a year and she would just find out where I was and go there and whatever. So I, my mom and I talk now mostly on a text basis. If you ask her, she'll tell you we were best friends and we call each other every night, but we just text sometimes. Okay. Um, 
do you was my question hold on i might need a second <laughs> i'm sorry Jeez. it's okay i'll have some tea <laughs> go ahead have some tea give me a second here hold on one second <laughs> oh okay all right i'm just gonna switch gears because right. i'm overwhelmed and if i'm overwhelmed then the people listening might be overwhelmed too Right. Well, um, I'm sorry. You feel no, like that. no, 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 not overwhelmed. Like, no, you you don't. You're taking me wrong. Like, I I'm pleased that you're so willing to talk about this. It's just it feels like that there's a million ways to go with this conversation, and I don't I don't know how valuable they all are, or I don't Lots. want them to be just, you know, just for the sake of talking. Um. So I'm just going to go back to my, my original. I understand how you handled sexuality as a, as a young person. That all makes complete sense. Um, how, how, how do you trust somebody enough to get married is my question, I guess. Like, like how did you make that leap? Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit Givoke glucagon.com slash risk. Is my question, I guess. Like, like, how did you make that leap? Did you, do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Well, <laughs> okay. Let's do the true story. Yeah, how about we do that one? Okay. Instead of the version that I usually tell people when they ask, like, how we got married. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Well, so the thing with my husband was I, before him, I, I was always alone. I prefer being alone. I would go out, you know, meet people, have sex, but I didn't want to see them again. Like, I was always like that. I never wanted to get married. Thought marriage was a waste of time, blah, 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 blah. When I met my husband... I don't know what it was about him. The moment I saw him and we met online, uh, the moment I saw him, I just felt like I knew him already. Like I, I, we, when we saw each other, we hugged as if like we had missed each other. Um, so I just, we was something about the combination of things that he is. And now of course I understand he just made me feel so safe. So it was just, that's, that was it. And we started dating and we were like, living together we were set we didn't talk about marriage specifically though but we were together now that doesn't mean i trusted him of course i had several years of shit i had to i'm sorry shit i had to deal with because i of course i didn't trust him at all and i would do the thing i would check where he was check his phone check his computer every about everything all the time and but he was always understanding and patient about things so he and he was I think secret the key with my husband was that he was always so cool and chill about it so if I were like 
babe, I'm sorry I'm crying. Uh, it's just that when you said this, I thought you meant that. And I think you're going to leave me now. So I started packing a bag. And he, all he would say would be, it's all good, babe. I love you. I'm not I'm not leaving you. But if you want to pack a bag, if it's going to help your brain, we can pack a bag. You know, so th that was the key with him. So he always made me feel very comfortable to just share the crazy stuff, whatever I was thinking, and very understanding of it. Does, does, um, does he have a past trauma or some experience with this? Like, why does he understand what to do? No, he's just just the sweetest little thing <laughs> he's just a very sweet man he i have a lot of rage right a lot of anger that i've worked on and will forever carry a little and he has it too but for something different he was adopted when he was a baby and it, it was kind of rough tough on him on that end he didn't experience abuse in any way but he understood my anger i think so he didn't judge whatever way i was reacting but that's how he is just as an example scott yesterday we had a ridiculous argument because i got mad at him because he saw a spider and he just put the spider outside of the house and i'm afraid of spiders mm -hmm. and he just said he doesn't want to kill the spider it doesn't make him feel good so he's not going to kill the spider so that's just how he is he's just if anybody came to him with anything He's just like all love and understanding. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'm very happy you found somebody like that. That's uh, how long Thank have you guys you. been together? Um, six, six years, married to five years. Wow. Good for you. All right. I, well, I, can I ask a last question about your parents? Sure. I don't mind. Go ahead. Do, do other people see them as normal? Or do you think that the people in their social circles are like, those people are cracked up? And they just kind of like, do you know what I mean? Like, how do they come off to the world is my question. I used to think that they came off as very normal people. And I think they did within the very small circle of people they saw. Like my mom and my dad had their own business. Um, and we only hang out with our uncles and aunts. We didn't have people outside the family. And we barely had people over and they barely left my dad would leave because he would go out, cheat on my mom, stuff like that. Spent a bunch of money that wasn't his. But my mom was always home working. So it's not like they were out there constantly exposed to people that were different. But later in life, when I started being open to people about what happened to me, more than once I had just random kids that I was either a classmate with or a friend with or neighbors. And they told me, you know what? Your parents were always so weird. I knew there was something wrong because they were so weird. And one of them even told me that the reason why she stopped wanting to play with me and come to the house, she came once and she didn't ever want to like hang out again was because when she went in the house, she felt like my parents were looking at her funny. Like we were 12 or 13, mm -hmm. like objectifying her yeah and he made her so uncomfortable that she remembers it to this day so probably not it's they did not come out as normal okay god that's frightening to think that they might have been like assessing whether or not she was a good candidate for their insanity you know what i mean i know because yeah. who knows and the problem is because they will not admit to anything because of course why would they who wants to go to prison so they it's it's impossible to understand the motive the motives behind some 
weird thing because they will, they will never be like, oh, well, what I was thinking was if I do this, then I do that. Like you mentioned doctors before. I rarely went to the doctor when I was little. I can't, we, you only go to the doctor if it's like an ambulance, like an ER emergency. Cause my mom believes she was a Reiki healer. <laughs> at, okay. Yes. I'm sorry to me to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that go ahead. <laughs> but that was what she did. Now she's something else. Okay. But at the time that's what she was. So then she would just, if I was in pain, she would lay me down and freaking do Reiki on me and play some goddamn nature music in the back. Or like they would make, I don't know what they're called here, but they're like these little homeopathic drops. And she would just go to this woman and she would make me these drops and she would just give me these drops. And that was fine. And, and you don't complain about pain. Cause, cause that's, you don't complain. So uh, I might've been like, Hey, instead of the drops, could you stop helping dad rape me? That'd be great. Like, would yeah, you yeah, mind? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> could you just like, let's, let's put this in order of importance. Shall we? Um, yes, God. Right. Well, well, okay. So we're pretty far into this and I don't understand um, this is a podcast about diabetes, I guess is what I should say. <laughs> so what's the, in, what's the intersecting, do you know what I mean? Like, yes. why me? Why did you reach to me? So, um, because, so that I, my entire life, I should say my 12 years of diabetes, whenever I, I reached out to, I had a doctor and I mentioned that I had uh, trauma or whatever, that it was never important. It was never talked about. It was never addressed. And I don't mean it as in like a therapeutical approach to what I'm saying. It was just that that wasn't important. Ooh. And nowadays I can tell you how my diabetes switched from zero to a hundred by making some changes that if a doctor had told me, years before I wouldn't have maybe lost years of life later on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause so like what I came to learn and now again, we should definitely have a doctor explain this, but like when you go through trauma and in particular, so when people talk about cortisol, right? Cortisol increases your blood sugar because you're stressed out. People usually think about you have a test, you have a job interview, you're mad, whatever. But with complex PTSD, it's, I could be having the greatest day of my life and you're looking at my Dexcom and it's shooting up for absolutely no reason because there is a part of my brain that is just reliving the what happened. And I don't even know because it's all the way in the back of my head. Yeah, like you're like in a constant state of fight or flight almost. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So just as an example, I used to have horrible high blood uh, sugars during the night. Even if it was perfect, I would go to sleep. The minute I fall asleep, it would start going up. And doctors were always like, oh, I don't know why he does that. It was always, and they would try different things. And because it was different every night at different times, different quantities, mm -hmm. then at some point they would just be frustrated and just be like, well, just do your best. Yeah. But then when I would go for my A1C, they would act like as if I didn't care about my blood sugar. Even like, so let's say one day it starts going up at 2 a.m. It goes all the way up to 400. I wake up for no reason at five and I do a correction bowls. 
and I go back to sleep and it's still going to be 400 when I wake up. It was like as if insulin didn't make a difference. Hmm. And so eventually this year I reached out to a naturopathic doctor and she said, have you ever experienced trauma? And I said, yeah, why do you ask? She was like, well, because usually people who have experienced severe trauma um, might have while developing, usually have something up with their adrenal glands. So let's test your thyroid, make sure that's not what it is first. So I got all those tests. And by the way, you can get those online from actual labs. So even if you have a doctor that doesn't believe in anything, then you could, you know, if you can, if you have access to that, of course, you can, you can do it on your own. And then, so my thyroid was perfect. It wasn't that. And then I started taking what's called cortisol regulators. It's just a pill you take at night and it's like a natural medicine. And Scott, you don't understand. Like I saved the graphs from my XCOM forever. I used to have, I hold on, I'm going to flip here. All right. So like I saved it and I sent it to my endocrinologist and she never even replied, but whatever. I'm not remembering that. <laughs> I'm not holding a grudge. <laughs> <There's> no, listen, <laughs> she she doesn't want what rage I assume is inside of you and that you could let out at any point. I pointed at her. Yeah, so we'll she just, has yeah. no idea. Yeah. <laughs> she she doesn't understand. And it's it's forever. I might not remember what happened to me, but I now keep track of everything on a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so this is the, the thing I sent to her. So a random night, and this was right before I got my period, which which would be usually just out of control. Blood, you could increase my basal to 2.5. It doesn't matter. It would always be in out of control. So then it started going up at 12 a.m. It went all the way up to 2.50. So when I woke up, I was like, oh, I'm going to get my period. Let me change my basal profile. Um, so then I did the one that had more, you know, higher insulin. Then that night at 4 a.m., it went all the way up to 400 and it just stayed up there. So it was like, oh, wow, that's horrible. So then the next morning I went on my settings and I changed my basal from 1.4 to 1.9. And then at 2 a.m. that night, it went up to 380. So like it barely did a difference. And we tried everything. Trust me, the doctors, we tried everything. Then that night I took the next night I took a cortisol regulator and my blood sugar was 150 all night straight, a straight line and eventually got low. So then I adjusted it the next day. And eventually after I adjusted it, I was using only 1.3 units an hour during the night. And my blood sugar was about a hundred the entire night, like just a perfect line. How long did you and figure the, this out? Uh, to adjust or to try the cortisol? The, 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 the cortisol idea. How long ago did you figure that out? This was a couple months back, maybe. Wow. Okay. Three, four months back. I haven't done my A1C yet. I have an appointment in a month and I can't wait to go and show it to her. And I imagine <laughs> too, very, um, I mean, just easier, right? Like life's just easier. Oh my God. I mean, it changed everything. It changed my mood, my motivation levels, just how well I rest at night. Uh, Cause it would be just my life. I wake up in the morning and it's high. So I always start the day with a huge correction. This, oh, did you just appear? Hello? 
No. Oh, you're... I'm sorry. I thought you I, you said huge correction. I got so quiet. I was like, he's gone. Uh, I did a dramatic pause. Oh, oh I thought you were. I was like, look, it's a weird place to get tired of me. <laughs> She's like, I've had enough of this. Goodbye. Um, was... What was your A1Cs prior to this? I know you don't have a new one since you figured it out, but what were they prior? So the, it was the last one was 8.1. The one before that was like seven point six, mm-hmm. and then I had periods in my life where I was very poor or I didn't have access to health insurance at all. So I used to do insulin only enough to not go to the ER, and I was working because I had to, you know. So because I was as an immigrant, you know, there's a lot you can do. I had a long period of time I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to work because I was on a student visa, so. It's not like I can just go work and make money and buy insulin, you know. So I would go to Walmart, buy the the cheap insulin they had at the time. And so the, but I would say the highest Scott that my blood, my, I'm sorry, my A1C has ever been, highest ever was 15 okay. point something. So you were really fighting with it just to keep it down in the eights and the sevens. Like you were, yes. You were putting a lot of effort into it. Yes. Yeah. When I got a seven, I cried because I, I just felt for the first time. And mind you, I'm not saying like I was doing everything right. And my diabetes, just was, you know, I oh. was making te- terrible decisions. I was exhausted. I just wasn't in a mindset that I could take care of my diabetes. The more I process what happened to me, come to terms with it, let go of uh, emotions. It's easier for me to be in the moment and then stop eating when I'm full Remember to pre bolus and do you know that type of stuff. I think you're. It's incredibly. Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but I'm amazed at how well you continue to take care of yourself. Like, has there ever been any self medicating? Did you drink or do drugs or like? How did no. you? No, you just that, there woke, wasn't. Woke up just, every day, knew, knew just something, cried. Yeah, knew something <laughs> bad. Did you, did you ever feel depressed? Did you ever think you were yes. cl- clinically depressed? Yes, I was. Well, th- so the reason why I never did drugs, honestly, looking back now, was I think it was because nobody offered them to me. I wasn't in a place where <laughs> I was. That was the only thing that stopped you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had times in my life where I was. I'll give an example. I started having these. I don't know what to call them. I'll call them visions just because I can't remember the proper term where you see people when they're not there. And I would see a man's figure and it was all black and I would see him everywhere and I would be working and it would be in the corner of my eye. And then I would blink and it would be right in my face. And sometimes I could hear it talking in my ear. Uh, that was the worst for my, for my PTSD. That's when I started going to EMDR and it completely went away a hundred percent. But if somebody, one of those days, that time I had two jobs, two jobs. Uh, my husband was struggling with addiction. So I was just so sick of everything. If somebody had been like, hey, meth will let you sleep at night. Do you want to try it? I would have been like, sure. Yeah. You- so I drugs was easy. It was just luck. And then alcohol, my dad was an alcoholic, so I don't like drinking. I would drink socially, but I'm not a big drinker because I don't want to be like he is. I say, yeah, anything that seems similar to him is a no. Yes. Gotcha. So I what I did was I smoked cigarettes. I would smoke like a pack, a pack and a half a day. 
And it was literally what kept me going. And sometimes when I would be really depressed and I would get um, suicidal, then I would, I would call like a 800 suicide hotline Mm -hmm. and just talk to somebody for a very long time. You know, I think that one of the things that I like most about this conversation and the fact that you came on is that while your example of trauma is obviously, you know, I mean, if there's a scale of one to 10, you're obviously at 10, you, you, you know what I mean? But still that everybody suffers through something. Yeah, exactly. Right. And to see, and, and it, you know, yes, it's not to this degree, maybe, or maybe it is for some people, but, but, you know, you still can see the impact, the cause and effect of a problem or stress or anxiety or, you know, and how it can come back and affect your, the rest of your life the management of your type one, your mindset even, uh, you know, that allows you to either, you know, put effort or not put effort into your health because maybe you just don't have any bandwidth left to, to, to yes. make any decisions with. Um, exactly. Yeah. So while your example is, I mean, just it's over the top, obviously it's still, I mean, I think everybody can take from this, you know, some sort of a connection and, and uh absolutely yeah i'm just i'm i'm really pleased that you did this um i'm not, oh, thank I'm, not you. Yeah, I'm not done with you i'm just i'm just, I'm just <laughs> i still you. have left of my, half of my cup of tea so yeah, you better yeah. keep we, going we got tea we're, we're still going i you know at one point <clears throat> i pulled up at one point while you were talking i had this thought like if i went to the mall and there were thousands of people at the mall how many of those seemingly normal people are sexually abusing their children? Like, I I, I just thought that because I, I can't imagine that that exists. And obviously it does. You're telling me it exists. And and I pulled up some statistics and there's, they're really staggering. Y- yeah. You know, um, I, you know, victims of crime.org says that one in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of child sexual abuse. Self-report mm-hmm. studies show that 20% of adult females and 5 to 10% of adult males recall a childhood sexual assault or incident. Um, it just, I don't know. Like, I guess it's one of those things that if you don't know about, you just imagine it's the, a one-off problem. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. some random thing that happens to a random person. But, because, but And I understand that, too, Scott, because it's just, it's so heartbreaking to think about that. And then nobody wants to live in a world where that happens so often. So I don't think even people do it on purpose to ignore, I would say this type of violence. It's just because it's just, it's too much. And then it opens up like we were talking about having kids, right? I, the thing you just wondered how many people in the small sexually abuse their children. That's, I think about that all the time. I meet a nice man. My dad was very charismatic. Everybody loved him. He was like the life of the party. And when I meet a, an adult man, a father who's very, has a similar personality, I think, I wonder if he's also a sociopath. I hope he doesn't abuse, you know? Yeah. No, I can't see how you don't look at everybody and just think like, which one of these people is a, is a murderous robot? You, you, yes. you know what I mean? Like, Jesus. Yes. I, I don't know. I, um, I, I, what you've accomplished from where from where these people put you to where you are now, I think is nothing less than stunning. Like, like the the fortitude that you showed to get to this point, 
is just uncommon. And I mean, I at some point, like while you were talking, I was like, when is she going to talk about her heroin addiction? Or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, or like, like, because I would have. I mean that that would have made complete sense to me, right? You and know. and if somebody's out there listening to this and you are a heroin addict, hey, do what you got to do. You know, <laughs> well, no, I, sometimes I, yeah, I, I, you got to just survive until the next. I, for a long time, all I did was just survive until the next moment, and then figure out the next moment. Yeah. So there's no ability to like, you can't set down roots or plan for your life until you find some way to. Deal with this, I guess. Deal with it's appropriate. You can't just you can't ignore it because it's not going to stop, and you can't just eject it, right? You can't just give it away. Like you have to do something. I would think high level to work through it in a way where it can't be impactful to you day after day. Is that right? Yeah, that was my experience. I think people process things different. I am the type of person that I, when I'm doing something, I like to go in depth. So even if I'm searching, do can cows chew bubblegum? I'm going to like go into this deep rabbit hole about bubblegums and how they're made. And so that's how I approached my trauma too. I have a, just as an example, I have a friend, she was sexually abused as a child by her stepfather and she has a very different way to approach it. She thrives the most by, she talked to her mom about it. She did what she had to do. Of course, her story is very different. But so in her context, she she just wants to move on. She wants to like let go and move on. That's how she does it. And it works really well for her. But if I try to do that, I would start triggering all sorts of stuff. I had to first go inside of me and figure out who I was despite of the trauma. So I could slowly like peel off. I used to think I was always so nervous and that wasn't me. That was just my response to trauma Mm. and just keep understanding and processing and putting stuff away because I try to ignore it for as long as I could. I think I would have done it forever really because who wants to remember? Yeah. Because when you remember a repressed memory, you remember the the sound, you remember the feel, the smell. It's a lot. I don't think anybody does it it's just for funsies, but to me, I had to do it. It was the only way because it was important for me to know for sure. Yeah. That, that this actually happened to you so that you could then process it and try to move past it. Yes. Cause of all the gaslighting they did in my context, it made sense. All right, using some young people hip terms, we got to make sure everybody understands gaslighting. You know, did you know the older people aren't going to know what you're saying when you. Gaslighting is when it could be very minimal, like I fall and hurt my knee and to me, I feel a lot of pain and you go like, that's not that bad. It's not, it's barely scratched. (laughs) That's a PG-13 example. But so gaslighting is when you, coerce a person to believe what they went through is less than what they went through. It's very common in domestic violence when you have an abusive partner as well. Uh, p- parents do it a lot. It's like kind of a manipulation tool. You mm-hmm. tell people it wasn't as bad as they remember or something yeah. like that. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a, it's just a, it's a young hip term. <laughs> What's the old hip term? I don't know. Uh, lying. Lying. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, what you just described is someone lying to you and saying that something ha- that happened to you didn't happen to you. But now it's got like I I make this assertion all the time. The internet has has made it so that we have to name everything. <laughs> so because you can't talk yes. about it and it's not searchable, like if it doesn't have a name. So everything gets a name now, which is kind of nice because this is a very like like Wikipedia says gaslighting is a colloquialism loosely defined as making someone question their own reality. Yes, yeah, right? that's it. Yeah. That's it. So, so you <laughs> now this word is in place of the explanation that uh you know I had a uh, I had an experience with somebody and they tried to tell me it didn't happen and instead or they, they tell you it wasn't as bad as you remember. I listen. I don't know how you play off what happened to you like how could someone tell you that's not as bad as you remember you, you know what i mean like oh well, i'll give you an example my mom will say i'm like mom you beat me with a belt what do you mean you were always loving <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean and mind so i can say i say things like that now but yeah. i used to scream at my mom and throw things against the wall like don't be mistaken wherever point you are in your journey that's okay. Uh, we've all going to be there. It's just a spiral of different moments, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she would be like, what are you talking about? I've always loved you. And I would say, mom, what are you talking about? You hit me with a belt. Right. Is that love? And she would be like, I only did that if, if you were misbehaving. And that was nothing compared to all the times that I made sure you had a roof over your head and you had food. At least I never let you starve. That's also gaslighting. Yeah, right. Well, sure, I held you down, but wasn't there dinner afterwards? Like, like right? Yeah, like yes. Okay, That's mom, I'll skip my dinner. Mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that wow, that <laughs> is a disconnect of reality that is fascinating. I know, and then it, it makes sense if you understand that about her. It's easy to see how she could be so okay with her kids being abused. Yeah. Because you're not, if you're not there in your body and you never address your own trauma as a child, if when you were a child, you negated your childhood so you could survive, you can't see it in your kids either. Right. Because wow. if I, if she acknowledged my abuse, who knows what's going to trigger and then she's going to have to acknowledge her own abuse. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I think it's an astonishing act of valor that you don't spray paint the word rapist across the front of their house every three days. I, I just yeah, really right. like I'm not kidding. Like, I don't know how you like. I, I think it's amazing that you're beyond needing to. I don't know, like, like, make sure everyone knows, you, you know what I mean? Like, I know that would be valueless to you. Like, don't get me wrong, but that that it's not at the tip of your brain is such an accomplishment. You know what I mean? Like it's really wonderful, honestly. Thank you. I had to just give up because I, that was my fight for a long time. I needed them, both of them to admit not everything that something happened, admit that anything happened and they just wouldn't. And I realized at some point that I don't need them to tell me it happened for me to know that it happened. I, they don't, I was giving them all this power, you know, so then I, it kind of switched gears for me when I realized that you don't want to admit, then screw you, whatever. I know it happened, but you, of course, it was a long way yeah. to, to get to that point. A lot of screaming in that way, too. Right. Well, I just I can't you can't imagine how many people who have been through traumatic things who have just been ruined by it and can't find their way out of it, you know, and and how even understandable that is. Um, 
Yeah. That's crazy. And I, I think I had some privilege because I was able to go to, to college. So it allowed me to leave my hometown and meet different people, people that were very loving and caring, just good friends. Um, and I always had, you know, I never, I didn't experience poverty as well when I was a kid. So that would have been another layer of trauma. So I think, you know, it was just, I had, while I went through all this, I also had privilege that I know some survivors don't get to have. So it was just a, a, just a random combination of things. Oddly lucky. Um, yes. Yeah. I guess that's not a word you use very often, but Uh, yeah. I I mean, I thought earlier when you talked about the scholarship, I thought, oh, well, that's the anime crew coming for, you know, like somebody got you out of there. Oh, it was the sweetest thing to say. Oh, that's that's how it occurred to me when you were saying it. I was like, oh, they got together finally and sent her a scholarship. Oh, Uh, stop it. I'm going to smile all day thinking about that. It was the happiest thing you said in this whole hour. So it wasn't hard to find, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, so many good things happen, too. It's just that the episode is about that. So yeah, we're no, focusing. Can you, can, you, can you tell people a little bit about that? Like, like, do you, like, day to day now, how do you see your life? Sure. Um, so I'm, I like where I am right now. I've come to, I used to think I was like into no discipline and being spontaneous. And I always wanted a job. Like I wanted to be a UN peacekeeper. I wanted to just travel around the world doing crazy stuff. And the more I did therapy, I learned that that's actually the opposite of what I want. What really brings me joy is peace and safety and routine. And that really helps my diabetes too. So I really like where I'm right now. We bought a house two, it's going to be two years ago and we moved, we moved states. So we moved closer to some people who care about us because my husband is also very alone in terms of family support. And uh, so he's adopted. He has two sets of parents, right? So I get to have one of his parents pretend they're my parents and he has the other set of parents. Um, So we have, what I understand as family, we rescued these dogs that we love so much. And I've had, you know, I've had a career for, for a while now. And so I'm in a, I'm in a good spot for sure. And I, I mean, and this didn't start now, but I just, I'm able to really feel things. What made me start going to decided to face all of this and just was just, I wanted to feel good things. And I realized you can't just shut down the bad things you shut down all things. So for me to feel the good, I had to feel the bad. That's how I saw it. So, you know, I've done wonderful things, guys. I mean, I moved to a different country. I've traveled around and I have great friends, uh, very dark humored individuals. And I, I feel really safe. I got with this cortisol regulator and I have the, I used to have an Omnipod, but I have the, Oh, I'm the worst diabetic. I can't remember my pump's name at the moment. The one with the control IQ. Tandem. Tandem. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, Tandem. Um, <laughs> my bad. I they're, just got they're it. Like, in they're my like, defense. finally, someone brings us up and it's in an <laughs> episode remember. about childhood sexual abuse and she can't remember the name of the pump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't revoke my warranty on the system, please. <laughs> I just a funny idea that they'd call you later and they'd be like, hello, I know you didn't give your name, but we know it's you. 
<laughs> yes, we search through that system. And you're the only one with this and that and yeah. that. And my pump just goes off and like never turns back on. I don't know why. <laughs> they shut it off remotely. They're like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're definitely not hiring me to be a sponsor. That we know for sure now. <laughs> I, don't know. I think you'd be a terrific sponsor. Um, <laughs> well, well, tell me again the name of like the – are you t- still taking the medication for the cortisol or is it something that you have to take every I day? Do. What's it called? No, I – uh, let me go get it one sec. Yeah, I really do want to know. Sure. All right. So this one is called Integrative Therapeutics, and it is a cortisol manager. Now, I know that there are different types of cortisol stabilizers. Uh, we would have to be a doctor to tell you <laughs> which one would be a good fit, yeah. if it even is a good fit. Um, for the first days that I, so you only take it one at night, you okay. take it when you go to sleep. And so and this is helps. not a, this is an over the counter thing. It's not a, it's not a I, prescribed drug. No, it's not prescribed because okay. she bought it. The doctor got one for me to try as a present. And then I think I, I found it. Is there a yellow stripe across the label? Yes. It's on Amazon. I found it. I know the Google. Look at you go. I know how it works. <laughs> You think I can't find a pill online? Um, so this is so this is just something your hippie doctor gave you, and it's helping. Is that right? Dude, it changed my life. Yeah, it I'm glad. Didn't help. It completely changed my life. I fall asleep faster. I had a very hard time falling asleep. I stay asleep. Of course, it's not a heavy prescription drug, so it's not like I'm taking Xanax. I wouldn't know. I've never taken it, but. Mm-hmm. It's a little more natural, and I I am a little I'm more comfortable taking something that's more natural because with diabetes you never know what's gonna mess with what. Listen, if it helped you like this, I wouldn't I I wouldn't care if you had to buy it in an alley. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, you brought up something earlier that I was really thought was terrific that I had no idea about that I could just somebody could do a thyroid stimulating hormone test online. Yeah, and, it and made, it's a le- it's legit from the actual lab. Yeah, it made me Google it. Like um, places like Quest and LabCorp, like Quest is cheaper if I'm looking online and I'm understanding it correctly. But such an amazing thing for if, you know when people have endocrinologists. Excuse me, I had to get a drink. But that are will say things like, "Ah, it's not your thyroid," and you are like, "Well, I have a lot of thyroid symptoms," you know. And the, a lot of times they don't want to help you with it for some reason. I mean, this here is saying twenty eight bucks at you know at LabCorp uh, or forty or twenty eight bucks at Quest, forty nine dollars at LabCorp. This sounds like something that, without insurance, is reasonably affordable. If you think you're having thyroid symptoms and your doctor won't help you, but that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Oh, Just be very careful. Empowering. Yeah, be careful that you don't fall into the you're within range answer. I I always like to say that because. You know, if you're, you know, I think in range is something like up to eight or 10 for TSH, but you're going to see symptoms over like two, like 2.1 if you, if you, if you really have a thyroid issue. So uh, with thyroid, I'm not a doctor either, but treat the symptoms, not the test number is how I think about it. Yes, I completely agree. And you could do, you could do the detailed thyroid or the simple one, or you could do cortisol, you could do just hormones overall. And the way I did mine was it came to my house 
I checked with the doctor first because I was I couldn't believe it. I could just do it on my own. Mm -hmm. So she was like, no, this is a legit laboratory. Go ahead. So I got the detailed thyroid one. It came on the mail and you have to poke your finger, which for us was like, (laughs) you know, whatever. Yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) Exactly. So you just poke it and you kind of like hold your finger up straight in the air and you let the drops, some drops fall inside this little vial and you seal it up and you send it back. And I think mine took about two, three weeks to come back. Hmm. So it's not, you. if you are like me and you experience some social anxiety, you could do it in your house and not even Listen, stress about having can, to go anywhere. Everyone can do it. I We had my children's gut biome tested recently and they had to basically poop in a box. So you can figure it out. <laughs> I'm you, so, you, can I ask you a question? Oh, no, please. Did you then you send it over the mail or do you drop it off somewhere? Interesting question. And I, I <laughs> had these very same thoughts. Um, so you mail it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the next time you're, you know, the next time you want to be upset at your FedEx guy, just remember their job's not as great as you think it is. And I mean, how great did you think their job was to begin with? So, um, right. you know, yeah, no, there. it's so you... There's a collection tray that you put in the toilet and like, you're not literally just like, although I think with one of them, they just did it that way. This was a thing in my house. Like we got the collection kits and the kids were like, we're not doing this. <laughs> and like, you know, they, they sat around on the, on a shelf for a while. And finally my wife and I were like, look, we really want to, you know, we want to do this to see if, you know, if, if any of your issues maybe are coming from this. And so um, after you put the sample on something dry, then you have to take a spoon, not a spoon from your house, a spoon that comes with it, and get pieces of the sample from different sections of the, how do I want to say this? All right, so why not? Uh, Imagine a log of human feces. (laughs) You, you You want to take this little spoon and go around to different spots on it. To take okay. and then fill up this little tube that has some liquid in it up to a line and then you shake 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 seal it up it goes inside of a bag that goes inside of a ba- like by the time you know what i mean like it's in a thousand bags and boxes by the time right. it goes into the fedex thing but and then you ship that's it off crazy. yeah and then they send a detailed report of your gut biome oh that's wonderful yeah. maybe i'll do that now if you don't mind me asking everything did you get good good news from that was it, it good they both needed something of an adjustment. Um, Arden's was more out of whack than Cole's was. Okay. But well, good for you for yeah, trying it. I'm going to do it too. Just because nice. I said to them, I'll do it if you do it. And then I was like, oh. So I'm like, I'll, I'll try it. Like I, I need the comp. It's a little expensive. So maybe the company will hear this and be like, sure, Scott, we will send it to you and you can try it. Um, yes. yeah. Tell them to send me one too. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it super interesting? I'm willing to spend the money on my kids. And then when it comes to me, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'll do it if it's free. I'll be all right. You it's know? just my body, the thing that keeps me going yeah. alive and able to do things. We ended up having to give Arden like these three different kind of um, supplements that they're not, you know, nothing met. It's uh, I don't know why I can't think of the word all of a sudden. Like, uh, why do people tell you to eat yogurt? Because it has like live cultures and a culture in it or something. Like, I can't. Th- I can't believe I can't think of a. I'm gonna curse I'm a- the f- word. I just got so upset. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, let's Google it because I'm the foreign, so I have a good excuse right. to not remember. I'm gonna, fi- yeah, I'm gonna figure it out. Good and then we're all gonna be really embarrassed that I couldn't for me that I couldn't think of it. A probiotic? Yeah, Jesus Christ! I uh, knew yeah, it. Yeah, 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 I yeah. did not Google it. I totally knew it. Yeah, like different so different <laughs> probiotic pills that they're taking. One of them, one of the kids, I think it's Arden, is taking one that is somehow like the culture of like. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, but I can tell you that when you open the bottle, there are tablets inside of it, and the tablets, when they're all together in the bottle, smell like crap, like li- like literally. And when you section one of them out and take it away from the bottle, it just smells like bad cheese. <laughs> That's even I don't know what's worse. <laughs> Arden goes, I can swallow this. It only smells like bad cheese. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, you, you take it for like a month or two to just try to help rebalance things you know, get good, good gut bacteria, um, at the level it belongs at bad, back gut, bad, bad gut bacteria, um, removed that kind of stuff. So who knows if it helps them, it helps them. And it was worth a try. Well, good for you for, for doing that for them. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, really a real cool I'm a real you hero. I'm a real You are, <laughs> you get the badge. <laughs> uh, I have to thank actually Dr. Benito who came on and did my thyroid um, episode and and to not joke around she's my hippie doctor so um, <laughs> you know and Arden has another issue and we're going to go to another integrative medicine person because sometimes you just have to look outside of the mainstream when you need yes. different answers you know absolutely your cortisol absolutely. story proves that I think yeah and that's, I think that's a th- big thing with um, just medical practitioners I understand they go to school and I mean I mean Doctors are wonderful and amazing. First of all, I don't mean anything that would contradict that, but they go to school and focus on this one thing for such a long period of time. But sometimes, and it makes sense. Like if I broke my wrist, you only need to look at my wrist, of course. But when it's a, a part of your body that is connected to so many other things, like your nervous system, your endocrine system, like whatever system it is, it's, it's, and then now there's so much research on trauma, for example, mm-hmm. and the impact on your health and development and all of that. I just wish, um, I think it would improve their practice if they could incorporate at least the lenses of understanding, yeah. not becoming an naturopathic doctor or nothing like that, but just understanding that there's more to it and that it might be worth exploring. Just asking a question, taking, t- suggesting a test telling people to Google, like just any guidance, because at least I always was very, I'm sorry, dependent on my doctor. It took me years to become confident that I could just do a Google search and figure something out on my own. I would always wait for my appointment to ask them, and they never knew. Well, well, not different than diabetes. Your situation is just uncommon, right? Like the, the human body is meant to endure what it's meant to endure. And, you know, yours got way more physical and mental abuse than I think a person is is expected to be able to, you know, shoulder. And that can have actual physical impacts on you, right? It could change you on, yes. a, on a cellular level, obviously. Like, yes. I mean, I don't know what mental illness is to you, but, you you know, at some point someone took a, a perfectly healthy little baby and did what it what they did to you that changed mm-hmm. your mind it changed your your physical responses to things it, it, you know your your social and psychological responses to things they changed you they beat you into a different shape yes you, you know? and 
Yes, that I was developing too. So when you go through things as children, they impact you in a deeper level uh, sometimes no, than but, when you're an adult. But, but, but even a traumatic, sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to step on you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go first. Oh, I was just going to say like to go to a normal doctor and be like, hey, help me. That's not something they're trained for. Exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. But maybe they could be like, well, I have heard before that sometimes trauma can impact your blah, blah, blah. Maybe we should just check that. Because if my doctor had, and my doctor refused, if my doctor had prescribed me the cortisol test, he would have gone through my insurance. He would have been a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so just even just being being open. And able to afford it. Hey, you know, uh, yes, being able to afford it's not lost on me. That poop in the box thing wasn't cheap. So you <laughs> you would think it wouldn't cost much to put your own poop in a box, but it, it was pricey. <laughs> You're wrong. Yes, yes. So it's great that there is this option now that makes us, especially if you like, I live in a small town. I don't have a lot of doctor options. Mm-hmm. I do have a much better doctor than I had before. But if you're in a situation like me where you don't really have options and you cannot afford to take time off from work and just drive two hours to go see a doctor and then come back, then at least if you have access, to, you're able to afford these things online. Yeah. I did two tests. One, I asked as a birthday present from my husband because I couldn't afford it. And then the other one, I saved money and then I, I bought. But I understand it's, you know, some people just cannot. Well, yeah, but. And that's okay. Still, pri- you prioritized yourself and you and you saved and you made it happen. And that's pretty amazing, too. So you're yes. a you're a wonder. You really are. Stop I'm so, it. I, well, I wish I could. <laughs> I, I'm only sorry I can't, like. I'm only sorry I can't use your name to tell you how amazing I think you are because it feels uh, empty because I'm just talking around who you are. But um, I think it's really uh, quite unique and special what you've accomplished. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank no, you so much. No and, you know, if, just think that who knows how many people you meet that you would never tell because people talk to me, you'd have no way because I enjoy, I love life. I because of all the things I was denied and all the pain I endured, I really value the good things. So if I if it's a nice day out and I buy an ice cream, I'm gonna enjoy it maybe more than somebody that just has that since forever. Yeah. So it's you know, I love life and there's so much about life that I'm in love with and love experiencing it and stuff. Well, so sometimes you might meet people like that, you would never tell that they went through stuff. But so we should always, I think, approach people with like, what's they called a trauma informed approach to just, right. You never know what people have been through. So let's just be loving to each other. And I don't just want, in case. Yeah. I don't want people to leave this thinking like how many people do I know are freaking creepy. Like I want them, <laughs> I want them to leave. Like, you know, if you ask me what the connection between your story and diabetes is to me, your story highlights that there are people going through things that you'll never see and that sometimes if you get a little lucky and you get the right support and you work hard at it and you don't give up you can get through things that you don't think you could possibly get through that that an onlooker would look at and just think well I don't know how you didn't just jump out a window you you know what I mean and instead Um. instead look where you are and my thought is, if you could do that wrapped around all of this, well, then that should be encouraging to someone who just thinks they can't figure out how to get their basil right or to pre-bolus pizza or something like this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there are, I'm not saying that 
one difficult thing negates another difficult thing. I'm saying, look at what people are capable of. And everyone listening is capable of something like this too, of overcoming something, you know? So we so are. And just remember, if you've experienced trauma and I will give an example, I used to, my, I would run out of insulin and I would just forget to change my site. Like I would just have no insulin for, for hours sometimes. And it wasn't like I was doing it on purpose. I would look and be like, oh, I have to change it. But I was so overwhelmed all the time. I couldn't, I just would get distracted and forget it. And just be kind to yourself. If, you, if you're if you having a hard day and diabetes is not working, just know that some things are not a direct result of you doing something wrong. You are doing the best that you can, and that's going to look different in different ways. But don't let people, and I say that because I experienced that a lot. Uh, don't let people shame you if you don't have the diabetes results that they want you to have. And I'm I'm not saying don't do the best that you can, of course, take care of your health, but just know if you've experienced things like that, just remember to love yourself first, you know, just yeah. be kind to yourself. You're doing your best. And the answers that you need are out there somewhere. And, yes. you know, don't give up looking for them. Don't accept people's um, assertions that maybe this is as good as it gets, um, you know, it's not always going to present itself immediately. And, you know, I think that this podcast has a lot to do with that idea, really. The idea that this isn't how mainstream talks about diabetes, really. Um, But here it is. And if you want it, it's here. It might be difficult to pick through. I mean, I hear people say, like, there's so many episodes. I'm like, you're welcome. You, you know, like I hear they, <laughs> right. they give it to me as a complaint and I'm like, mm, you're welcome. Right. You know, um, <laughs> now, now you do the hard work of picking through it and getting what you need out of it. Like I can't come to your house and, and Tell you know, what you need. Yeah, shuffle you along to success. And I don't know. And my point is, is that the, if the woman you're listening to right now can do the things that she's done, I can't imagine what everybody can't do. You know what I mean? Like there's, there should be no end to your, there should be no end to what you think you can accomplish. You know, you should just try and, and don't give up. Yes. And if you try and it doesn't work, it took me 12 years to figure out how to not wake up with HI on my literator, yeah. you know, just and don't, it, it takes time. Yeah. Did, it, it does. How did you? I'm sorry. It, it mm-hmm. seems so terrible to ask this after the whole thing. I really, I, I just want to make sure that the connection is obvious to people. Like, how did you find this podcast, and has it been valuable to you? And how? Oh, let me tell you. So, I was can't remember. I was. I do yoga. Yoga helps me a lot. Mm-hmm. I also do intermittent fasting. So, I was doing. Yoga, and I realized I love yoga. Why don't I look for a podcast about yoga? And I was looking at wellness podcasts and stuff. And I was like, wow, I've never thought about the possibility that maybe there are podcasts about diabetes out there. Uh, So then I picked one. I put diabetes, whatever. And it was a different one. It was from a guy from, I don't know, maybe I think New Zealand or Australia. And he, I swear, I swear to you, Scott, he said, if you want your blood, if you want to lose weight, your blood sugars to get lower, stop being a lazy fat fuck. I swear that's what he said on the episode that I heard. So I was like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. And so I was bummed out for a couple of days. And then 
I was like, ah, let me try again. And then I found yours and I saw it had all these categories. So what really, I think in your podcast has improved my life so much because I started listening only to the after dark episodes because whenever people gave me diabetes advice, I never took it into consideration because I always felt like, well, but that doesn't apply to me because I have this other stuff going on that you don't know about, whatever. And I learned it, it was really the thing that made my brain make the connection that most people that have diabetes have something else. Like I listen, and then I listened to an episode of a, of a girl that was allergic to insulin and it blew my mind mm. away. I was like, if this girl can do diabetes, I'm going to start spending time and just learning. So then I just started listening to a lot of episodes and just, I've been learning so much, but what made me lower my guard, my defensiveness was just listening to all the after dark episodes in a row. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think I originally thought of the after dark episodes as bringing people into a world that they didn't know about. And over time and years, I've heard from enough people with, you know, you know, uncommon stories like yours that he, that say that the after dark episodes to them are the core of the podcast. It's yes. it, because it's so uncommon again to find these stories. The, these stories just don't get told very often. I mean, you've done something now that I mean, if you would have told me five years ago that a person with your life experiences would come on here and share them on the podcast, I'd be like, that's never going to happen. Y you know what I mean? But it all started with me saying, like, it it's so it's so strange like it started with me saying on the podcast one day hey do you drink a lot and have diabetes because if you do i want to talk to you and then these two people heard that and went to their friend and said hey i think the guy on that podcast is looking for you and she's like i don't know how to feel about this but i am like a pro level drinker and i have type <laughs> one and so she came on and shared and i thought there should be more of this and then I went to a guy that smokes weed. And then before I knew it, I was talking to people with bipolar disorder. Um, you know, people, I mean, at this point now, you're the third person of some sort of sexual assault that's come on. Um, and uh, and so much more. Divorced families, I, I, an adult of someone who grew up in, an you know, uh, right. in a divorced family. These are the stories that people like you, who are more plentiful than we want to think, need like they need to hear themselves reflected we we always talk about like reflecting people and and um uh you know i can't think of the word again because i'm not young um but uh a representation right like we always talk mm -hmm. about representation about like you yes. know you, you have to have more black voices you have to have more gay voices you have to have more trans voices you have to, nobody ever says we have to have more sexual assault survivor voices you know, we yes. have to like, because it's difficult and uncomfortable to talk about. And I don't think it should be. So no. that's why it's here. Cause that's what I think. So no, you're I, the best. Well, you're the best for doing that. Jesus. It took an hour and 40 minutes for you to say something. I, I was the best. Like I, all right, we can go now. <laughs> you should have started with that question. And then we could just talk about that and say, I mean, if you want, we could stop if we start and just do an episode about that. I'm teasing. I already know I'm the best. I don't need you to tell me. Now, let's let those dogs back in before they run away. Oh, they're sleeping in the other. They're just fine. Don't you worry. My husband works from home, and so they 
they lived their best life. It's 2021. We all work from home. Uh, I wish I worked from home. Do you not? Oh, it's <laughs> days I like it, and there's days where I'm like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, um, yesterday, here, we'll finish with something completely frivolous. Love it. Yesterday, I walked downstairs. My wife's working in what used to be our dining room, but now I think is an office. Um, I'm pretty sure she's going to get rid of our dining room table. Uh, I guess we'll eat in the kitchen. And uh, my daughter's at the countertop in the kitchen. She's doing homework. My wife's working. And um, and I walked downstairs in the middle of the afternoon. I was like, I'm going to go out. And everyone's like, where are you going? Because I'm not that guy. Like, I'm like a, I'm not like a, I'm going out guy. And I was like, uh, I'm going to go get a manicure and a pedicure. <laughs> and they were like, what? Because that is not something <laughs> I do. Um, and uh, I said, yeah, I've, I said about a week or so ago, I realized that my toe was sore and it was my nail. And I just have been growing my nails out with the idea that I would reshape them in a way where my toe wouldn't be sore, which seems like a reasonable decision. And I said, yeah. and now I'm looking at my nails and I realize I do not possess the qualifications to handle this. <laughs> and they were like, what? I'm like, I don't think I know how to cut my nails right. Or this wouldn't have happened to begin with. I'm 50 years old. I'm going to go let somebody else do it. Then I'm going to look at what they did and try to mimic it next time. And so like 10 minutes later, I had my feet in a bath and a gentleman was rubbing my calves while a woman was cutting my fingernails. And I have so to tell good. you, it was lovely. <laughs> so. Yes, I've done it too. It's the best thing. Oh my God, it is so warm. And then when they scrub your like your ankles, oh, it's the best. I, I'm I'm not even embarrassed. It was a it was a half an hour that I enjoyed. And so, you shouldn't be embarrassed. You should be proud of yourself for taking care of yourself, trying different things. Good for you. Yeah, I just and I gotta tell you too, I'm always embarrassed of my fingernails, and today I'm not. Just put them on top of that desk. Like you know <laughs> when you take a picture and you're holding something. I turn my hand so you can't see my nails usually. Aww. I didn't realize that. And then I saw them yesterday. And I was like, why is this lady so much better at this than I am? So did you figure out, do you think you can do it next time? I don't know. I better just make more money and let her do it. But yeah, but <laughs> they look really good. She, By the way, no clear coat or anything. I just was like, you know, I'm like, I don't need a coating. I just cut them for me, please. They're really I can't believe I'm saying this. They're really good. So if for people keeping track now, if you're still listening to this, after after the person who we've spoken to today has told you all of these sad things, if you're still here an hour and 40 minutes later and you're keeping track, I'm now getting my eyebrows threaded with my daughter and I got a manicure. So Amazing. I'm, I'm Amazing. on my way. I'm going to look good soon. That's right. <laughs> you, better post, you should do an Omnipod sponsor thing on your page and take pictures Holding things, you know, make up for the lost time. You think I'm a hand model now? I have, yeah, try it I out. Have, my hands are huge. And my family <laughs> constantly makes fun of how big my fingers are. So I don't no. think I'm a hand model. But Be proud of your hand. Don't let them hand shame you. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if that becomes a thing, I'm going to say that you're going to have caused it. Because <laughs> I can't imagine anyone has said that before. Oh, Tell them God. to stop oppressing your hands. They can't control the size of them. They I, need to love them the, the way they are. Next time someone mentions how big my fingers are, I'm going to say stop oppressing my fingers. <laughs> yes. Yes. And be assertive about it. People need to learn your boundaries. All right. Damn. Well, well <laughs> thank you. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. 
You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juicebox. And I want to thank today's guest for coming on the show and so bravely telling us her story. Thank you so much. I'm sorry that I can't thank you by name, but I'm really glad that you were here. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. You can find more After Dark episodes in your podcast app or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Topics like drinking, weed smoking, trauma and addiction, having sex with type 1 diabetes, depression and self-harm, diabetes and co-parenting, bulimia, bipolar disorder, heroin addiction, psychedelic drug use, divorce from the perspective of an adult child, diabetes complications, other eating disorders. They're all available in your podcast player. Just search Juicebox Podcast After Dark or at juiceboxpodcast.com. You can just scroll down and find them right there on the website.